Hello, Cinefans. I'm Kendall Kruger, and this is Watching Classic Movies. What makes a summer movie? It's more than sun and sand. I talked with John Malahai of TCM about his book, Summer Movies, 30 Sun-Drenched Classics, and we unpacked the many ways the season of vacations and warm weather can come alive in the movies. Thank you, John, for joining me. Thank you for having me. I know that Jaws was an inspiration for you in writing this book. So tell me, tell me a little bit about your, your history with this film. I don't know the first time I saw it. I was, uh, you know, it's one of those movies you grew up sort of watching with your family. Um, it and maybe yeah. National Lampoon's Vacation, right? That are just sort of cultural touchstones that... If we're on a road trip, we refer to that movie. If we go to the beach, we talk about Jaws, you know. And I, so I probably saw it more times than I should have when I was very small. And, you know, I viewed it in terms of this book uh, not as a – people think of, like, summer movies as summer blockbusters or beach films or whatever. But to me, it's just, like, it's the setting that has a lot in common, I guess, not just with other films that are set at the beach, but other things that are set in the summertime that have these sort of universal experiences. So when I was putting this book together, it was obviously one of the first ones I thought of just because it's such a, it's about people going to the beach for the 4th of July, but it's also, um, I just think of the, the themes and everything, it just, it feels like the perfect sort of kickoff for a discussion about other films that are, that are set in the summertime that are supposedly very different in genre or tone or plot, but in fact actually have a lot of things in common. I revisited the film after reading your book, and I was shocked that at what passed for a PG then. It's really pretty intense. So I can imagine there's this whole generation of children. I mean, you know, I know a lot of kids of that generation were also seeing horror films too early. But oh, yeah, sure. yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it brings you to the fact that now when I first heard about this book, I thought, oh, beach, Gidget, beach blanket, bingo, all worthy, really. Those had to be in there, too. Yeah, necessary, and all brilliant in their fashion and what they're going for. But there are all these other emotions associated with summer, and Jaws is great because it goes with the play and the fun, but also the intensity. And that's what yeah. I thought interesting about your choices was that you had films like Rear Window, you know, and Do the Right Thing, where it's all about the passions of summer and, and what can change going to say Key Largo as well is another yeah. one that I you know I had seen before but I hadn't really thought about it in this context but it's really about it's another version of Florida in the summertime um sort of the dangerous side of all that warm weather you know and I, something about Jaws that really appealed to me was it's really about it's about America in a very overt sense right the fourth of July and celebration and um our assumptions about the good side of America, right? And then there's this sort of darkness lurking, literally lurking underneath the surface, right? Um, the film was made right after Watergate, uh, right at the end of the Vietnam War. There's a lot going on in society. Um, I wasn't alive then, but I assume <laughs> that this was on people's minds as they were watching this film and sort of resonated. So I love that sort of, the darkness of Jaws, the light parts of it, and also the darkness and how it, um, it's also a part of summer too that, that's, um, unavoidable but it's also you know that film's also made me sort of afraid of the ocean for years and years too i still go but it's always in the back of your mind right yeah like i love the comment that it it did for the ocean what psycho did for showers totally yeah and i think it'll remain i mean 
people have asked, like, why is Jaws still so beloved, still talked about today? It's because I think it taps into that very primal sort of fear of open water and the possibilities and the dangers, right? Yeah, and and I, I do see it as a perfect encapsulation of the summer film because it does pull all those elements. I also loved how some of the films, they had the heat as a second character almost. Like, yeah. like feeling that, just how it feels to be in summer. It's not necessarily just the vacation, but the season, how it affects, you know, how you feel. Anything, yeah, I mean, that could be anything from, you mentioned Do the Right Thing, where the heat, I think, plays a very direct role on what the characters do and how they talk to each other, how they interact, and what happens in the end of the film. But there's also, like, the seven-year itch, right, which is basically a guy, like, sweltering in New York City while his family goes off on vacation and he has to stay in town at work, but... And then he meets, because he's outside and a, uh, his neighbor or the person renting the apartment upstairs knocks a plant over and almost crashes into him, right? He meets Marilyn Monroe and they have this whole, this thing. And, there's, you know, there's the subway great sequence, which is about cooling off in the heat. And, yeah, I think the heat and the weather and whether that's sunny weather at the beach or a hurricane in the Florida Keys, it's, it, it plays a huge part in a lot of these films. So in creating this list... Sounds like that was part of your criteria. That like, what, what ma- drew you to a film? What made you decide, oh, this had to be in here? Well, there were some. Like you mentioned, Gidget and Beach Blanket and Mingo, and obviously John. There were some that I just felt I couldn't not include. You gotta. But right. But I, I also wanted to set some parameters. I felt like all the films needed to comment somehow on like a universal experience, right? And I tried my best to have everything be actually set in the summertime. There's a couple of exceptions. I think uh, Moon Over Miami, the Betty Grable film, uh, is about people going to Miami. It really could be any time of year. I think technically it's more like in the fall and winter. Um, the, t- you know, the, the times are never overly stated. But um, it, you know, as long as it sort of comments on that experience of like, like in that film, they're, they're going on vacation and to change their life, sort of a vacation, right, a gold-digging vacation. But I, I, it was about, you know, summer as a time of uh, personal change and growth or new experiences. It's like getting outside of your comfort zone or being inside your normal, you know, like you do the right thing, you're seven your wrist, right, or inside your normal environment, but things around you are changing or the weather is affecting the way you're, you're seeing the world. So in that sense, I tried to, you know, I didn't include, like, Greece. A lot of people think the musical Greece seems like an obvious choice, but I was like, well, it actually takes place, except for the very beginning and the very end, it's during the school year, so that didn't really count for me. Um, and then some other films that are overtly set in the summertime didn't make a lot of sense either. Um, you know, you had, like, Dog Day Afternoon, which came to mind, but yeah, it's a bank robber. I don't know how universal of experience that is. I don't know how, you know, I wanted people to be able to sort of relate to the experience in some way. I don't know that that necessarily works. Um, you know, Saving Private Ryan is set in, in June, obviously, historically, but that certainly didn't make a lot of sense in terms of the tone, right? So, um, you know, I had a list of about 300 films. I'm still adding to it, actually, as I, as I learned about more, but, or as things came out, you know, In the Heights, I think, would be a great example. Um, but, uh, you know, I started with a very wide net, and I had to kind of set some parameters for myself. I know I wanted to end with 30, because we had um, a couple other books out in the, the TCM library, one on Christmas and one on um, basically horror films, uh, much around Halloween, that were that size. So, and those are both um, 
I think really successful books, it allows 30 is a good number because it allows for a little bit of depth, you know, and curation, which I think is important instead of just getting an encyclopedic list. But it's not 30. And that's what's so marvelous about this book. It's actually 60. And yes, clever. <laughs> <laughs> you snuck them in there. Now, those double feature selections you made. So it's, let me just explain to all each of these movies has a second suggested double feature. And I love this because, you know, I've seen a lot of movies and, you know, a lot of those 30 were familiar to me, but I found some new suggestions in that double feature section. It seemed like you got, you took, made a little edgier choices, took a few more risks. Maybe is, was that deliberate or? It was, you know, and I, I was trying to do the, with the, with the main list, I was trying to be a little bit more eclectic anyway, just because I think there's such a wide range of experiences, but um, yeah, and that double feature list, I, I took some liberties too. I included some, you know, there's some foreign films in there. There's uh, a couple of documentaries, some newer films that I think relate really well to older ones. So if you're watching The Graduate, right? I mean, there's a lot of other new Hollywood films or Dustin Hoffman or, you know, I don't know, college films or something you can throw in. But to me, the, the movie Ghost World from 2001 really jumped out because it's also about a person who just graduated they're, they're in sort of a limbo summer, right? They don't know exactly what to do with their lives. Um, they're very disillusioned by their options. They both start relationships with older people. <laughs> you know, the movies have great soundtrack. There's always curious little um, coincidences. I don't know if that was um, when the original graphic novel Ghost World was written. I don't know if that was something on the person's mind, but um, it works out. And um, I think that's just a fun, that's a fun example. Like the movie Summerstock, which is a Judy Garland musical, I paired with a Japanese film, <laughs> which is uh, from the late 50s, called Floating Weeds, which is about another group of sort of out-of-town actors who um, show up and are hosted by a community and about their relationships between the people there. There's some backstory that you learn. Um, but it's just a, it kind of sheds some more light and some, gives some more relevance to the, the, the main list, which I think is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. There's... Something about these choices, too, that's interesting to me is that it's based on a lot of good books. People are divided on The Graduate, but I think it has its charms. Jaws is a great book. Gidget is a great book. Can we talk about Gidget? Sure, yeah. That's a, you know, and I read it again recently. I read it once at the beginning, and then I read it um, a couple months ago just to sort of refresh myself. It's a really fun, it's actually very strange in certain ways because it's written by the father of the Gidget character in real life, his daughter, Kathy Conner, and Frederick Conner was the author. He wrote it basically about her experiences becoming a surfer in the summer, um, and it's very closely related, I assume, to what really happened in her life. Um, and it's written, it's been compared to, like, Catcher in the Rye, which sounded very strange to me before I read it, and then afterwards I was like, I, I see this. It's the attitude, that sort of youthful, um, sort of flippant attitude towards things, and yet <laughs> having this sort of some deep experiences, I guess, within the text. And I don't know, I found it really charming. I enjoyed the book. Have you read it? What do you think? I did, and there's so much slang in it. That's fun. I, and I know he was listening to her phone conversations with permission to, right, to get a yeah. handle on that. <laughs> and then, you know, she's smoking, and it's, it's definitely a lot of things they couldn't have in the movie. But I thought it was interesting that they still managed to get a lot of the spirit in there where... There's, this... there's several other books as well that I guess go farther, deeper into her life and 
I don't know if they're all true or <laughs> based on things that she experienced or just stuff that Frederick Hunter. Oh, I didn't know that. Crafted, but yeah, um, I haven't read those, so I don't know. But. Yeah. yeah, yeah, wow. So, w- were there any any that you had to leave out that you wanted, or? You know, I wasn't heartbroken about a lot of things. Um, yeah. And again, with those double features, I was able to sneak a lot in. Um, like, for example, there, and, you know, I, I, well, a couple of examples. I had originally written an article on uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much, the 1956 Hitchcock film with Jimmy yeah. Stewart and Doris Day. Um, it was one of the very first ones I'd written, and I was excited about it because it's, it's basically about a man taking his family on vacation. He's on a business trip in Europe, and they go to Morocco. And um, and I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it doesn't end well, right? It, it's a vacation that goes awry. But it also has these scenes of them, you know, trying to experience Moroccan culture. They go to a restaurant, and Jimmy Stewart's, you know, unsure about how to behave and table manners, and he sits very awkwardly there. And they are sort of, you know, guided through, um, like, the marketplace and Marrakesh. And, you know, there's all these different themes of sort of cultural immersion that I found was really interesting. And I think it's relatable. Anybody who, not directly, but anybody who's had a vacation that kind of goes off the rails, I think could relate. Um, But it was also, at the end of the day, I don't know if it was considered summary enough. You know, I ran this list past other people at TCM and some people in my own life who know films really well. And um, I wound up putting Rear Window in instead because, in terms of Hitchcock film, it's a movie where, again, the heat plays such a huge role. And... um, it being the summertime, everyone's out, and, you know, their windows are open and all these things. So I went with that one instead. So I kind of missed that, but I was able to kind of get in Hitchcock. There were some, you know, some, like, French films that I thought were really interesting. Like, Eric Romare has a bunch of Claire's Knee and, you know, the collection is. And some of these films that are set during the summertime and say really interesting things, but they just felt a little bit too non-universal or awkward or, I don't know, too French or something. I was able to get in one of his that I found really, it was a discovery for me that I found really um, beautiful. It was The Green Ray from 1986. And I pair it with the movie Before Sunrise, uh, the 90s film with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi, because it's sort of about people in taking vacations, finding themselves alone and kind of, they don't know what to do with themselves, they think they'll just go home and... And they wind up meeting someone and spending time with them and have, forming this really close connection. And they're really just beautiful experiences. So I included that one as a double feature. I'm trying to think, there's not a lot of, people have pointed out there's not a lot of action in horror films, too. Yeah. Like Friday the 13th was one that I almost included. But I don't think it's that great of a film, but it's, it has an interesting experience. It's a summer camp. It's sort of a version of summer camp, right? But, um... I was also, like, with action films, I found that, because I was trying to do the sort of universal experiences, a lot of those films are about really extraordinary events happening, or really incredible people, or, you know, people with extraordinary strength, or some capability in some way. You know, Independence Day is a really interesting film, but I don't know that that's necessarily everyone's experience with the 4th of July, right? So, I <laughs> had pushed those kinds of films out a little bit, so, I, I don't know, if I were to expand it, I might include some things like that. But, again, I wasn't totally heartbroken over a lot of things. I was able to, um, if not include them as double features, then at least speak to them within the text. And you did get kind of the French film and the very awkward 
vacation experience together with um, Monsieur Hulot. Oh, that's true. Yeah. All about the horror of trying to enjoy yourself. <laughs> and the inability. You know, it's funny. I just went, I was at the beach last week. I was in, uh, over in Hilton Head, which was beautiful. It was a wonderful place. But I had that movie in my head the whole time because it's basically about someone who goes to the beach. Um, for anyone who's seen it, you don't really know a whole lot about the main character's backstory. Um, you learn later, I guess, if it's the same character, he lives in Paris and he has family and blah, blah, blah. But you don't know where he works. You don't know if he has a relationship with someone. Um, and that's sort of the point, right? He meets all these other people who are, he just can't break away from their real life or from the news that's happening on the radio or um, from their you know, political positions or whatever. These people can't just go on vacation and relax mm-hmm. and disconnect, right? So I, I tried to do that last week on my beach vacation, and I, I was moderately successful. I felt like that was a movie I just had to include, though, in the main list. It's such a landmark. Um, still, a lot of people haven't seen it, and I think it, it's it's nice to expose people to different things. So yes, and, I felt like that was important. And just getting him started on Tati, where there's all sorts of films of him trying to enjoy himself. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole idea of summer movies got me to thinking about outdoor movies. Like, there's something that's a summer movie, and then there's something that you can watch outdoors. Mm-hmm. Like, like one summer, I went to a screening of All About Eve outdoors. I love All About Eve, but how bizarre was it <laughs> to see it outdoors? You know, everybody that's sat real. there enjoying the film, but I thought this just feels wrong. So in writing this book, did you think at all about that? Like, what, what, is, what is good for outdoor or... Cause it's know, a, I didn't necessarily think about it i did um it occurred to me that a lot of these films do take place largely outdoors and what what the outdoors means you know that like i uh, I point out in the introduction that there's even the documentary um the endless summer right takes place except for maybe one short scene completely outdoors um you have moonrise kingdom the wes anderson film that's all about basically them trekking off across the island to sort of form their own little Mm-hmm. Paradise on the shore, right? Yeah, there's a lot of other films in here like that too. Caddyshack takes place outside, you know, <laughs> for a random example. Uh, Mr. Gill's Holiday is largely outdoors. And Smiles of Summer Night, I, in that uh, Bergman chapter, I point out that, you know, how special it is for Swedish culture to be able to actually go outside in the summertime and what that means, how, how special that is. And hopefully, with an eye for people enjoying that themselves. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I have watched other films outside, too. I think I saw Jaws outside once. Yeah. Um, and under screen, that made a lot of sense. And then, I, I don't know. I'll watch anything on the big screen, though. So. Did you That's ever Did you ever see the photos of the Jaws screening where people were in boats? Oh, no. It might have been in Florida or something where they had screened up when people were in boats. And some people were in little rubber floaties. I thought, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. So there's the circumstances, too, there, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I know that um, one fun one would be um, the movie Crooklyn, which is the Spike Lee. I include it as a this double feature for Do the Right Thing because it's another great Spike Lee movie from that period. It shows uh, summer in Brooklyn, essentially, and in the South. I know that was shown, there was a vote or something a few years ago, and maybe maybe last year, actually, in New York about, you know, what film should we show outdoors in the screen, maybe a Bryant Park screening or something like that. And mm-hmm. Crooklyn won. I was like, that's a very appropriate film to watch outdoors in New York for the summer. I'm impressed. Uh, that or maybe, I don't know, West Side Story would make sense or something. But. A West Side Story is a good one, too. Another one, 
um, Jazz on a Hot Summer's Day. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's a it's a concert film. For the longest time, I thought it was a black film. It really isn't. It's it's very much of the white gaze, but there is a lot of black excellence as far as the performers go. And yeah. and I you know the, the the concert setting, the outdoor concert setting is another yeah. Have you seen, uh, it's the new movie uh, Quest Love actually does, Summer of Soul, which is about the um, Harlem Cultural Festival in 1969. I haven't yet because I want to have the perfect night to project it on my back porch. Oh, it's, I, it's I a want great to, film. Yeah. yeah, I want to set the scene because I know it's going to be special. I follow Quest Love, you know, I love his podcast, so I know what sensibility, what music geekitude is going into this. So, <laughs> so you do recommend it though? I do recommend it. I just saw it uh, this weekend, and it's yeah, it's. I mean, it's great in terms of the musicians and the, yeah. the talent that you see, but it's also in the time period. I just love. Yeah, I've always loved Woodstock too. I know something about it. Took, it basically took place at the same time, but um, the sort of time capsule and also just the, the incredible talent on display. But it's there's also a lot of good interviews with people who kind of explain the era and the, what was happening in the city at that time, etc. So highly recommended. Okay, we'll have to check that out. So. In, in, in writing this book, has your concept of summer movies changed at all? I don't know. I feel like I, you know, mo again, like most people think of summer movies as like your blockbuster that opens on Memorial Day or whatever. And so I guess I've been, my goal here has been to sort of change, or I guess change the conversation around what a summer movie can be or what it means. It, you know, it, it, it's remarkable how I always, instead of like drawing out the differences between something like uh, Do the Right Thing and Jaws, right? Yeah. Uh, seeing the similarities between them is, has been a real pleasure in this whole process. You know, just trying to find these universal experiences. So I feel like it was sort of, um, as I was going through all these different genres and different eras, it was reassuring to know that I was like, I felt like I was onto something, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it was almost like my thesis had been proven correct, at least in my own mind. I felt like it was successful in that way. But, um, so I wouldn't say it changed. I would say it was, it was reinforced. And there's, if anything, I just feel like, you know, the more you see and the more you read and the more you talk to people, the less you know and the less you've seen. And I just feel like there's so much I still need to watch. Um, maybe I'll do a revised version someday. But <laughs> Volume two. Volume two. <laughs> well, are there any other books that you think you want to write after having this experience? Oh gosh, you know, I don't, I didn't ever set out to write a book on this. I mean, it was, I worked behind the scenes at TCM anyway, and we, we've, um, this is the 21st book we've put out. Um, we've done a lot of different topics, and it was just something I threw out at a pitch session because we had such success with our Christmas book and our Halloween book. You know, I, I didn't, this wasn't like a topic I always had in my head that I was like, one day I'm going to write about summer movies. It was just something I, I started putting a lot of thought and care into and it was like the thought of giving it to someone else to write it while probably more responsible was <laughs> less appealing you know it sort of became my little my my baby right and I wanted to protect it and see it through um so I don't know it's something may come up in the future that I think would just speak to me or I had a really special idea for how it would work um I do think a book on like 80s films would be great especially with TCM I feel like since those films are now basically classics in a lot of ways, um, mm -hmm. 30 or 40 years old at this point, um, I love to sort of lay claim to the 80s for TCM. I think there's been a lot of great books about teen films or action films or slasher films or what have you, but 
Um, there's a lot more to that decade uh, culturally going on, and I think a lot of different genres aren't talked about. And um, I think that'd be a really that'd be a really rich subject. That seems really daunting, though. I don't know if I could pull that off. <laughs> you had a wide sway with summer movies, though. That's true. I mean, I I think about the thing about that is that it did manage to be very diverse. You know, with with what you were limited with with the numbers. I and I also there's just something I've noticed about the TCM audience where. There was a lot of nervousness about, you know, the, the channel is a well-curated channel. That's really what I see it as, and not necessarily just the studio age, which, you know, it's an emphasis there. But I see the 80s as being a good choice just because people are starting to sort of realize they do want to see those films. Maybe they aren't so afraid of that showing up on the channel. I used to be counting how many 30s and 20s films, but I see it more as like, well, now this is classic to me too. Yeah, we've always shown them in, in context, right? Um, yes. Yeah, it's a really, curation is our is our big thing. We always try to put things in context and have our intros where we kind of give some more context around those films and why they're important and why they're of value. And we've always shown 80s films if it makes sense within someone's filmography. If we're doing, you know, Burt Lancaster, we need to show his 80s films. Or uh, if it's, you know, Summer of the Stars or 31 Days of Oscar or something like that, it makes a lot of sense to include those things in context. So, yeah, and I just think, I think there's a real resurgence culturally of people sort of looking back to the 80s now. There's a certain nostalgia. Um, I guess it's technically vintage, right? Was that 25 years or something where you can start looking back and, calling something vintage and um I, I feel like they're starting to release music on cassettes again like there's just all these different things in oh. culture that are yeah that are um and fashion and you know music and all these things that are sort of pointing back to the 80s people who grew up then are sort of reintroducing their kids to it or, or what have you so um i think there's a there's an appetite there as well culturally agreed so how was it being on tcm you, you, you appeared on, on TCM yeah. to promote your book. Was that the first time that you were on? I had been on, yes. Yeah. And I'd, I'd, you know, I'd been in studio sessions before behind just watching either other authors or guest stars or, you know, I've, I've gone down and just watched intros before too. It's really, I work upstairs from it, so it's really, <laughs> I feel spoiled. Uh, so I kind of knew generally how it works and the timing of it and, you know, what to expect, but I, I was interviewed by Dave Carter, who is just really fantastic in general. Um, he's obviously interviewed thousands of people over the years and really knows what he's doing, but he, um, and I knew him from other TCM things. I met him a few times. Um, he's always been really lovely, but he really put me at ease in terms of like, just, okay, he came into the green room earlier and he's like, oh, do you want to, you know, run through the questions ahead of time? And it's like, yes, please, let's talk through this. And, and doing that really, um, it, it, you know, it made me feel better about how I was going to be able to respond, but it also was, you know, obviously kind of gave you a sense of what to expect from him. And, and I just, it, it did it pretty easily. It, it actually, it was less nerve wracking than I thought it was going to be. So, but again, I was surrounded by people who I knew who work in the studio for TCM. Oh, that helps. Um, and I knew Dave and it was, yeah, it was awkward, but it also was very comfortable at the same time. So. Well, you handled it with grace. It was lovely. John, thank you so much for, for talking to me today. It was really interesting to learn more about your book. Thank you. And I hope, uh, you know, people can explore some of these films. A lot of these were discoveries for me, but um, and some, some classics I've seen dozens of times. So I hope people have the same experience I did.
Yeah, I think they will. For show notes, including where to find John's book and clips of his appearance on TCM, go to watchingclassicmovies.com. Thank you for listening. This is Kendall Krufer, Watching Classic Movies. Until next time.